Okay, open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2, I'm gonna, we're going to back up to verse 15 just to kind of put what we're looking at this week in context, okay? So uh, jump up to 15 where he says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves, <coughs> loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also it's lust. But anyone who does the will of God lives forever. Now, I want you to know this word world can have different meanings. It can mean the cosmos. It can mean the world of people, for God so loved the world, meaning people. But it can also mean the world, the evil world system. And that's what he's talking about in this particular passage. Um, John Stott, in his commentary, said, The reason why we are enjoined not to love the world is because love for the Father and love for the world are mutually exclusive. If we are engrossed in the outlook and pursuits of the world, which rejects Christ, it is evident that we have no love for the Father. Friendship with the world is hatred towards God, James 4.4. No one can serve two masters, is what Jesus said, recorded in Matthew and Luke. And if we cannot serve God and mammon, materialism, money, neither can we love the Father and the world. In a really good book that I read during our week of snow... I had a lot of reading done that week. Um, it's called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, and I highly recommend it. But he said, when we use others to meet our needs, we can't love them. Codependent people don't truly love each other. They're using each other. Each needs the other to feel okay. When we need the world, need something from the world, need something from the fearfully and wonderfully made people who populate the world to make us feel whole ourselves, we can't love. So we have to be set free and receive the love of the Father and know that we are beloved, which is what we talked about in week one, so that we're able to live loved as John did. And when we live loved, we are set free because our basic needs are met in our personal relationship with Christ and we're able to love others out of the overflow, which is exactly what Christ has called us to do. And as we looked at this passage, we see there are three categories of sin. The lust of the flesh, the cravings of our sin natures, basically what that is. The lust of the eyes, which is covetousness, wanting what we see or what somebody else has. And then the boastful pride of life, which is boasting of what one has and does. It is that desire to be better than. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life are all seen in the garden. It is exactly how the evil one tempted Eve. Let's look at Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, and that it was a delight to the eyes, it was beautiful, the lust of the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, the boastful pride of life, to be like God, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. We also see these three categories of temptation coming against Jesus in the New Testament. And where we failed in those temptations, he succeeded and defeated the evil one. All sin falls into one of these three categories. Now, I want you to listen to this. What did I just say? 
All sin falls into one of these three categories. You cannot name a sin that doesn't fall into one of those. When you pull out your phone and you open a social media app, you are being assaulted by all three at once. Wonder why you feel leaving. Leave it feeling stressed, anxious, discouraged, less than. (laughs) Listen to this. The average iPhone user touches his or her phone 2,617 times a day. By way of contrast, the psalmist said, I have set the Lord always before me. What would my life be like if God touched my mind as frequently as I touch my phone? So I would encourage you. I'm not saying eliminate all social media. I'm not saying get the internet off your phone. I'm saying don't let it master you. (laughs) Be its master. And if you need to set limits, one of the things my girls have done is they've set limits on how much time they're on, say like Instagram. I think that's typically the one they're probably usually on. And so maybe 20 minutes. They'll give themselves 20 minutes a day. And there's a timer where you can set in your settings that it cuts it off after that. The problem with that is you can go and just add more time. So what they've done is had their spouse set a passcode on it so they can't do that. If you don't trust yourself (laughs) to not just go add more time to it, then have somebody else that you trust put a passcode on it so that it doesn't master you, but you master it. The quote that I gave you came from The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Listen to this. This also came out of that book. He said, the thought process that went into building these applications... Facebook being the first of them, was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. And that means that we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever. And that's going to get you to contribute more content and that's going to get you more likes and comments. Your phone doesn't actually work for you. You pay for it, yes, But it works for a multi-billion dollar corporation in California, not for you. You're not the customer, you're the product. And it's your attention that's for sale, along with your peace of mind. Let that sink in for just a moment. (laughs) Might make you a little bit irritated, (laughs) and it should. So let me give you some suggestions, okay? He has some suggestions in his book, and these are some suggestions that I have implemented in my own life, and my girls and I have talked quite a bit about this, and they have as well. Put your phone to bed at night. You know how you get your children ready for bed, and they go to bed before you do? You need to do the same thing with your phone and charge it someplace away from your bed so that you're not tempted to pick it up and scroll through it before you go to sleep at night. The blue light's not good for you anyway. It wakens your brain up and makes it difficult for you to sleep. Um, So put your phone to bed at night. Don't look at your phone in the morning before you spent time with the Lord. Because what happens? You get sucked down that hole. And all of a sudden, you go, oh, 20 minutes, I don't have time to read my Bible now. I don't have time for prayer. I've got to go get ready to go do whatever. So do not pick up your phone until you have first spent time with the Lord. And then, guys, utilize basic etiquette when you're with other people. Don't phone snub people. Do you know how rude it is to be sitting at a table with people and you're trying to have a conversation with you and they're scrolling on their phone while they're listening to you? (laughs) That's rude. And I know probably phones came into kind of across the board usage so quickly that we haven't had a lot on phone etiquette. But use basic common sense and care for your friends. (laughs) If you're sitting at a dinner table or having lunch, don't pull your phone out. Leave it in your purse or your bag. 
Take breaks from it. Have a Sabbath. Have an actual day, which John Mark Comer and his family do. They have a Sabbath that starts on Friday. They actually observe it as a family, and they have a box, and everybody's phone is turned off, and it goes in the box for 24 hours for the Sabbath. He also does not wake his phone up in the morning until 9 o'clock. You know, you put your phone to bed at night, you can also choose what time you decide to let it get up. (laughs) It doesn't wake up on its own, right? And then every once in a while, take a longer break. You will find it will do a lot for your mental health and well-being. My girls a lot of times take the month of December off. They just eliminate it uh, off their phone for a month. And they have said the same thing. And the teenage girls that I teach, my previous group that I had before, one of the girls was struggling with stress and anxiety. And one summer she told her mom, okay, I'm, I'm totally eliminating Instagram from my phone. I'm going to let you have access in case somebody sends me a message. She played volleyball like for something I need to be aware of, but I don't want it on my phone. And she literally said, I feel so much more at peace. It's designed to suck us in. So recognize that. You be its master. Don't let it master you. Danny Aiken, in his commentary on 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, said, Because the Father's kingdom is at war with the kingdom of this world, the two will never coexist peacefully. To pledge allegiance to one side is to declare opposition to the other. So let's move down into our focal passage for this week in verse 18. Children, it's the last hour. Now, obviously, the last hour began the moment Jesus ascended, and we are in the last days, the last hour before his second coming. We're living in that time in between, but not yet, right? Just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us because they were not really of us. For they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you all know, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie is of the truth. False Christ, anti-Christ, people who speak against Christ had left the church. And he's saying they left, even though it appeared for a period of time, they were of us and were with us. They left because they really didn't belong. They're really not Christians. Because as we're going to see, they're denying the deity of Christ. And you cannot deny the deity of Christ and have the Father because the two are one. And he's warning them that this spirit, these anti-Christ teachers were going to be among them. And this spirit has already gone out to try to deceive the people of God. In Mark 13, Jesus said, For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But take heed, behold, I have told you everything in advance. Jesus had even warned them that false Christ would arise and would try to deceive. Second Thessalonians, Paul was warning them, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the Antichrist, the one that Daniel foretold of in the Old Testament. 
the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. That's going to happen midway in the period of the tribulation when the Antichrist sets himself up to be worshipped in the rebuilt temple. So Christ was warning us. Paul was warning. John is warning us that there are going to be those who try to teach a false gospel. The Antichrist activity, Danny Aiken said, is indicative of the reality that the real Christ has come and believers are living in a period of time when the kingdom of God has been inaugurated and awaits its final consummation. So we know that the spirit of the Antichrist is among us. Let's look at verses 22 and 23. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Now listen to this. Verse 23 is crucial. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. It's exactly what Jesus prayed in John 17. That we would be one just as he and the Father are one. He is one with the Father. And there were those in their day trying to deny that Jesus was God who had come in the flesh. They said, no, no, he was a man and, the, and God just kind of came upon him at his baptism, but he left him at the cross. No. The beauty of the gospel and the power of the gospel is that we could never be good enough to get to God. So God came to us. God put on flesh. And he lived in this sin, dark and corrupt and fallen world, the life we are unable to live in our place. And he took our place. And he was God forsaken so you would never be. He chose to do that, to lay down his life so that we could have all of the riches of God in Christ Jesus. They're mine. They're yours. And if you have Jesus the Son, you have the Father as well. He is your heavenly Father. So what's our protection against this heresy. Look at verses 24 through 27. He says, whoever denies the son does not have the father. The one who confesses the father has the father also. As for you, let that abide in you. Now, I want you to watch. If you've not already circled how many times we've seen abide, do it now while we're reading, okay? Here's one. As for you, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Did you notice six times in those verses, he's telling us to abide. Sounds a little bit like John 15, doesn't it? He is saying you've received what? Verse 25. The promise which he himself made to us, eternal life, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is our protection. We have eternal life in Christ. And it is this life that protects us 
from the lie. But not only that, we have the anointing. We have been filled by the Holy Spirit, sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. And we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit if we avail ourselves to him and do not quench the Holy Spirit. So he's telling us to abide so that we can be in Christ and draw from him everything we need. And he told us he would give us the Holy Spirit who would teach us all that we need to know. The enemy wants you to think because you don't have a seminary degree, and by the way, neither do I, that you can't read the Bible and discern what God is saying. Untrue. You have the Holy Spirit through whom the Bible was written living within you. Now, do people get caught up in heresies? Yeah, because they're listening to the evil one or they're listening to a false teacher. But if you get in the Word of God and seriously study the Word of God, the Word of God itself will never, ever lead you astray. And if you will submit yourself to the Holy Spirit, He will teach you. And as you study God's Word from Genesis to Revelation, and you come to know the God of the Word... God as he is and as he has revealed himself, you come to a greater awareness of all that he has done for us in Christ Jesus and you live in awe that the creator, the king of the universe desires not only to commune with us but to claim us as his own. That he has called us children. And don't you love that the elderly John addresses these followers of Christ as children? That's a term of endearment. He's saying, God loves you, little children. He cares for you. He's speaking truth over them. He's warning them and he's telling them, you've got the message of the gospel. You have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You have everything you need to stand against the lies of the enemy and of our culture. We have what Jesus revealed to the woman at the well, spirit and truth. And we get in trouble when we go too far either way. Sometimes if you go too far, well, I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit like move. But you're not grounded to the Word of God. You can get caught up into emotionalism and heresy. But if you say, oh, I'm only going to focus on the truth, what do you become? A Pharisee. You become a legalist. And you're not a lot of fun to be around. And there's no life there. I mean, just let me just tell you, okay? If you're feeling de- depleted and drained and you find yourself being a little legalistic, it may be that the spirit of the Pharisee has taken over. And you need to be done with that and get back into spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. God, I'm going to immerse myself in your truth and through the power of your Holy Spirit, wed the two, that I might walk in the power of the anointing of your spirit and in life that comes through the gospel. That's what Christ has called us to. But you know what it takes? A daily dying so that I can abide in him. Because we get this life only through association with connection to Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what is our solution? Let's look at 28 and 29. Now little children. He's moving into, okay, he's getting our attention again. Abide in him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. So he's telling us, you have everything you need to live this life and to not be pulled in by the spirit of the Antichrist, by the lies of the culture. But you've got to rely on the message of the gospel, the anointing of the spirit, so that when he appears, 
we won't shrink back. But instead, we will have been walking with him so intimately, we will jump forward. We will be so excited to see this one that we have loved and served. Verse 29 says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. So what is our solution? Our solution is to abide, to cling to Jesus. It has been observed, James Montgomery Boyce said, by some that in the New, Test in the New Testament, one verse in 25 deals with the Lord's return. It is mentioned 318 times in the 260 chapters of the New Testament. So he's wanting us to know Christ is coming back. And just as Jesus Christ fulfilled every single prophecy about his first coming, he will fulfill every single prophecy about his second coming. And I don't know about you, but I believe the times, as I think it was Dr. Rogers so used to say so beautifully, are becoming gloriously dark. <laughs> They're becoming gloriously dark because when they become dark and the enemy's turning up the heat because he knows his days are short, the light will shine even brighter and God's going to pour out his Holy Spirit in great abundance and his people are going to be filled with everything we need to bring as many people as we can to Christ before he comes again. And that's to be our job. But the only way we can do that is by abiding in him. Abide means to remain, stay, reside, to be occupied with or focused on. Okay, what is it that they created social media to do? To capture our attention, our focus, right? Think it might be a tool of the evil one? Because what are we commanded to do? Abide, which means to be focused on, occupied with Jesus and his word and advancing his kingdom, not the things of this world. So I want you to turn to John chapter 15, the great chapter on abiding. Since he's telling us six times in these short verses that we need to be abiding, I want us to look at what Jesus said. Let's pick up at verse 4 and read through 11 in John 15. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Did you hear that? For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, He's thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. <clears throat> These things I have spoken to you so that my joy <clears throat> may be in you and that your joy may be full. How will your joy be full? By abiding in Jesus and receiving his joy that is manifest in the midst of our lives as we abide. Now, abiding means to stay with 
to focus on, then that means we need to be attached to Jesus just like these branches are attached to the vine. And they lived in in a society where they, many of them were farmers. And they had the illustrations of vineyards and vines probably right there when Jesus was teaching it. They were probably, there was a vineyard to the side of them. And what would happen if I went over to a grapevine and pulled a branch off? That branch is going to die, right? Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Because there's no life if we're not attached to the vine. It's just us out here trying to do it in the flesh, trying to will ourselves to be good enough. And we're never going to make it. And we're going to be frustrated. And we're going to burn out. And we're going to feel like, well, it works for everybody but me. That's another lie of the enemy. It doesn't work for anybody like that. The only way it works is if we're attached to Jesus. And his life is flowing through us through the power of his spirit. And then we're able to walk in the power and the anointing of that spirit in the truth of his word and get in on what he is doing. And he begins to do things that only he could do and accomplish. And we just get in on it. We see people come to Christ. We see people set free. We see people healed. We see God answering prayer. We see him bring the prodigal home. Because people have been praying and walking in the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And they're in on what God is doing. And he's speaking to them. And they get excited about it. Is it always easy? No. Will the enemy come after you with attacks? Yes. But you have eyes only for Jesus. Because you're attached to the vine. And you've sensed and experienced his life force flowing through you. You know you can do nothing apart from him. And every day you reconnect because your flesh wants to go its own way. I mean, every day we have to (laughs) crucify the flesh so that Jesus can live in us and through us. But it's moment by moment releasing, surrendering, praying without ceasing. That's that constant communion with him as you go through your day. That's what he's provided for us. And so the enemy does everything he can to keep us disconnected. He's going to try to distract you. He's going to tempt you to pick your phone up in the morning so that you get sucked into it. And you don't pick your Bible up. And so you go out into the day unprepared, disconnected, not even realizing, I can do nothing today. I'm not connected. I'm not connected to the vine. I'm a branch that's been pulled away. Every day I need that connection. Every day I need connected to my life force. Because Jesus is life. Jesus is light. And ladies, the fruit we bear will be evidence of where our affections lie. Either with the world or with Jesus. So as I'll get myself, think about my reactions, my responses to others, my relationships. Are they depicted by stress, anxiety, jealousy, discouragement, negativity? Probably been feeding on the world. If, however, I'm connected to the vine and I've been walking with him in humility and utter dependence upon him, he produces the fruit of his spirit. I can't conjure it up. His spirit produces the fruit. Of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. 
I don't know about you. But in the flesh, well, I really do because I know none of us can do it. None of us have self-control in the flesh. (laughs) We just don't. None of us are really kind in the flesh. We're selfish. Not necessarily gentle. I can be pretty snippy when I'm in the flesh, to be real honest. So I have to die, sometimes moment by moment, (laughs) in certain situations. And God, give me your perspective. Spirit of the living God, take over. Holy Spirit, glorify yourself in the midst of this. Jesus, give me your love. Jesus, help me see this person as you see them. And suddenly you see the wounds and the chains of that person who can come across like a porcupine that makes you want to pull away. But when you begin to see them as Jesus does, you rush in. You throw your arms around them because they're hurting and they don't even know how to articulate it. And all they've known to do is to protect themselves because they don't want to be hurt again. Only Jesus can give you that perspective. Things are never as they appear on the outside. There's always so much more to it. Look back at verse 8. He says, my father is glorified by this. What's he talking about? We have to go back to the previous verse to know what it is that's glorifying the father. So verse 7 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's answered prayer. It will be done. By this, by answered prayer, is my father glorified and You bear much fruit. And then it's proof that we're his disciples. Because we're bearing the fruit that we could never bear. That we can't produce. Only the Holy Spirit can produce it. And by that fruit that only comes from him, the Father is glorified. So we need to fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I want you to know something. What you treasure, your eye is drawn to. Think about that. What you treasure, your eye is drawn to. What do you put before your eyes? What you gaze at, you will become. What you gaze at, you will become. Because whatever has caught your eye will capture your heart. Is it the world? Or is it Jesus? Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away. And also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. So friends, sisters, 
we're going to be known either by the fruit of the world or the fruit of his spirit. Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see? There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Now listen to this verse. His word shall not fail. He promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying. His perfect salvation to tell. Can you read that chorus with me? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Whatever it is you're longing for this morning, it's found in Christ. The provision is in the person of Jesus. The provision for your need is in the person of Jesus. The provision is his presence. It is his presence. So let's abide.